Good morning, church family. Nate will be preaching from uh, Philippians chapter 1 this morning, and uh, I will be reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 from the ESV. Please listen to the word of God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Well, Happy New Year. We doing well? Yes and great. I'm doing great. Uh, it's good to be back with you. Um, I mean, it's only been a week, but it feels like a, a little longer. If you're a guest with us, I would love to personally meet you if I haven't. And we do have a gift for you. So before you leave this building, please do not leave without receiving that. I love to give gifts, and we have plenty to give. And so as Selah said in the announcements, I just want to reiterate a couple of things that she mentioned, specifically on the Bible reading plan. We're doing this as a, a faith family together. It's been my experience that the more people involved in a reading, the more excited people get when everybody is doing the same thing. Now, you can feel free to read as much of the Bible as you want. We're reading through the New Testament, the Psalms, and the Proverbs from January 1st to the end of the year. And I want to tell you, don't get discouraged if you get behind on the reading. I told you, uh, or I, I, I at least mentioned it on social media, there's five to six extra days at the end of each month where you have time to catch up if you are behind. And so please don't feel discouraged if you get behind. The second thing is there are memory verses for each month. The Bible instructs us as followers of Jesus to hide his word in our hearts, to know it, to meditate on it day and night. Like we need God's word in every day of our lives. And so we want to meditate on it. We want to memorize it. And we want to hide it in our hearts. And, and so uh, I want to encourage you to do that. This month, it's just one verse, Acts 1 verse 8. And so I want to encourage you to start um, challenging each other as, uh, in your marriages and um, as well as your whole families and your kids. So when I was 11 years old, my family and I went to uh, Oklahoma for a family reunion. Now, I used to love family reunions, and this one in particular I loved so much. So this was, uh, I believe, my second cousin. So we went to my mom's cousin's house in Oklahoma. So they had this house out on some land. There was a pond that they had on their land. It was an incredible time, to say the least. Lots of family from all over came. Many family members stayed in hotels and maybe other places. Uh, my family stayed in their house in Oklahoma. And so 
getting to know these cousins was a really special time for me. This was back um, in 1998. I know some of you are like, you were 11 just a few years ago. No, I was 11 in 1998. It was an incredible time because when you're a kid, you look up to young adults, especially family members. And my cousin Nathan was someone that I looked up to, and he was, I think, in his uh, early 20s maybe, and he was just a cool guy. But he was also a good guy. So my time spending uh, with family there on that reunion, specifically with my cousin Nathan, was a time that I'll never forget. My cousin wrote me a letter back in 1998. You see that postmark date, 1998. I still have this letter. Now, I don't know that my cousin Nathan knows that I have this letter. (laughs) People just don't usually keep random letters for 22 years. I want to read you some words from this letter because what you're going to find is there's similar language from this letter that there's that's found in the book of Philippians. And so my cousin writes this. Our family had evidently sent them a letter. This was him responding to that letter. And he said this, I got your letters today, and I wanted to write you back and thank you for them. I also wanted to let you guys know that I had a great time when you guys came down to visit. I can't wait to see you all again. That includes you as well, Glenn. Glenn's my dad. He wasn't there. Uh, Nathan, you little stud you. So this is his words, not mine. I got, to, I got to tell you, you're really an awesome kid, and I think you have a lot to look forward to in life. I hope you stay strong, both spiritually and physically. Uh, do everything to the best of your ability, and I know that God has something wonderful in store for you. I'm really proud to say and to know that all of you guys are a part of my family, and now believing more and more a part of my life. Hope to see you all Uh, soon. And then, you know, he also gave me a gift. He gave me $20. Now, $20 when you're an 11-year-old is like $5,000. And so this was 22 and a half years ago. I'll never forget different aspects of that reunion, different uh, moments that uh, we got to share as a family, specifically for me and my older cousin, Nathan. And, And when you read the book of Philippians, this is a letter that Paul wrote to his brothers and sisters in the faith in a place called Philippi. And he wrote this letter for many different reasons, which we'll talk about here in a second. But the Apostle Paul writes this letter not as just a spiritual advisor or a spiritual leader or a church planner, but a man who's been transformed by the power of the gospel. If you know anything about Paul, Paul was a hater of God's church. He was a violent and angry man. This is what he calls himself. He hated people like you and me, Christians. And he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. Those who believed in the resurrection, Paul had them stripped out of their homes against their will, stripped of their clothing, beaten with rods, thrown in jail, and even killed. This was the man who writes the letter to this church in Philippi. He had been transformed by the power of the gospel. And so he writes this letter thanking them and many other things. And we're going to talk about here in a second how Paul got acquainted with these Christians. But he writes this letter thanking them because there was a man by the name of Epaphroditus who came to visit them, came to visit Paul in jail. And it says this in Philippians 4, verse 18, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to the Lord, so, or pleasing to God. So Epaphroditus was one of the members of this church. He was a leader in this church. Uh, this church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus to Paul in Rome while he's in jail to comfort him to strengthen him, to encourage him, also bringing gifts. And so Paul writes this letter to thank them for sending him, but he does far more than that. And But before I want to dive into the letter itself, before I want to dive into uh, our text today, I want to tell you how this church got started in Philippi. Now, I'm not going to read it all. It's all found in Acts 16. You can go there and read it later. For the sake of time, I'm just going to tell you the story. But the Apostle Paul has three significant different missionary journeys where he's going all over this place called Asia Minor. Think of like 
uh, modern-day Greece and Turkey. He's traveling around all of these places, and he's preaching the gospel. He's planting churches. He's making disciples. And on his journey, on the second missionary journey, it's not just Paul. He has other guys with him. Paul is, they're trying to go to Asia, but it says in the Bible, the Holy Spirit prevents them from going. But he has a vision, a dream of a man from Macedonia, this place where he's going, saying, hey, come and help us. And so it says in Acts 16, verse 11, So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and to the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. We don't know exactly how long Paul was there, but we know that he was there long enough to disciple these men and women, to preach the gospel and to plant a church. So Philippi is a Roman colony. In fact, Philippi was known as Rome, just a much smaller. It had all of the things that made Rome, Rome were in Philippi. It was just a much smaller colony. So it was known as Little Rome. In fact, one writer says, apart from Rome, Philippi was no doubt the most Roman of all the cities that Paul visited. It's named after, Philippi is named after, after King Philip II, which is Alexander the Great's father. That's what Philippi is named after. And there's not that many Jews living in Philippi during this time. It's mostly Roman soldiers, retired Roman soldiers who live in this uh, predominantly Roman colony. But Paul ends up there. And it was Paul's custom. Every city that he went to, to preach the gospel, to preach about the resurrection of Jesus, Paul would go there and he would find the synagogue or the temple where all the Jews were meeting. And Paul would walk into that synagogue and he would impress people with his wisdom and knowledge of the Scriptures. Uh, Paul was already a leader in the Old Testament Scriptures But then he would take a hard right turn and start talking about Jesus and the resurrection. And people would believe in the gospel and people would get saved. Uh, The only problem is there was no synagogue in Philippi. There was no Jewish temple. In fact, there were very a handful of Jews at most in Philippi. So Paul goes there. There's no synagogue. But he hears about this river, uh, this place where these women are are meeting at the river. I'm not talking about a van down by the river, Chris Farley. I'm talking about... A river, a Bethmore Bible study is going down by a river in Philippi, and it's, it's uh, made up of this woman named Lydia and some other women. Now, Lydia, was a, uh, she sold a purple cloth, this, this really uh, high-dollar, high-quality uh, uh, material, cloth material. You could find in 2021, if Lydia was alive, she'd be selling her stuff on Etsy. If you've ever been to Etsy, go to Etsy. I've never, actually, I've only been on Etsy one time. That was for research of the sermon. But if you ever want to buy, you know, high-quality cloth, you go to Etsy, and so that was her profession. That was Lydia's profession. But now Lydia and all of these other women, they're down by this river, and it says that they're worshipers of God. Well, Paul goes down there. He's ready to preach the gospel. And the Bible actually says about Lydia that God opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. And on a side note, if you ever feel discouraged about sharing the gospel with a friend, or coworker, or loved one, or neighbor, you're not really sure what to say, or will they believe it? I know that they don't believe much in church. Before that encounter, why don't you pray that Almighty God might open up their heart to pay attention to the gospel? So that's what happens to Lydia. And I'm going to tell you the story. Lydia believes. Paul's preaching about the resurrection of Jesus, and she believes, and she's wanting to be baptized, and she's so excited about Jesus that she says, hey, Paul, will you come with me to my house and tell my whole family? And so, so Paul goes to her house, 
and tells her whole family about the gospel, about the resurrection of Jesus, and they all believe, and they're all baptized. And now you have not just Lydia and all these women, but you have the Apostle Paul and his friends, and they're all going down by a river worshiping God together. And no doubt, Paul's discipling them, teaching them about the resurrection of Jesus, and they're just growing in their understanding of who Jesus the Christ is. So every day, Paul and all these people, they go down to the river to worship and talk about Jesus. Uh, Now the problem is there's this demon-possessed woman who keeps following Paul every day he goes down to the river. Now this demon-possessed woman is owned by two men. She's a slave girl who's demon-possessed, and these men use this woman to gain money, to gain profit, because Satan, she's demon-possessed, Satan had given her the ability to tell the future. And so these two men who owned this slave girl gained a lot of money off of her. And so this woman keeps walking behind Paul every day, going down to the river, and she keeps yelling out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. Now I want you to know that's exactly what she was saying, but imagine her saying it in a very scary, screechy, demon-possessed voice. She didn't sound like me. I don't know if you like the sound of my voice, but this woman was probably scary. And she's yelling out, these men are servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming the way of salvation. The Bible literally says that Paul gets annoyed with this woman. So he turns around and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out. And the demon comes out immediately. The demon flees from this woman. You know what else fleed? The two men who owned her and the money that they were gaining off of her. That goes away as well. So that doesn't, they're not very happy about that. So these two men who own this slave girl, who's no longer demon possessed, who no longer has the ability to tell the future and make them money, they go to the authorities and they're telling on Paul saying, hey, he is preaching a message that's not welcome here. And so these authorities, go, they go get Paul and his companions, and they strip them of their clothing. They beat them to a bloody pulp with rods, and they throw them in jail. And it's not just a, a, a vacant jail cell in the jail. It says that it's the deep, dark dungeon of the jail itself. And they put them in stocks. That's what happened to men like Paul for preaching the gospel. They're stripped of their clothing, they're beaten with rods, and they're thrown in a deep, dark dungeon and they're put in stocks. Now, stocks were something uh, that were, kept your feet together. You could not move, basically. So they're bloody. They're all beaten up. They're half-clothed, and they're stuck in these stocks. And you know what they're doing? They're not complaining. They're not moaning and groaning. Oh, my gosh, we were so silly. Why did we come here preaching the gospel? They didn't even like it. Look what happened to us. No, they were singing praises and hymns and songs to God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. That's what they're doing. And you know what happens? An earthquake happens. And the prison walls are shaken. And the prison cells are all open. And all of the chains on all of these prisoners are loosened. They all have the ability to escape. And this, there's a Roman jailer there. And this terrifies this man because he's in charge of all these prisoners. If they escape, his superiors are going to torture him and kill him. So this man wants to die an honorable death knowing that these prisoners had the ability to escape, he pulls out a sword and he's about to kill himself, this Roman soldier. And here's what it says. I'm going to read it to you. Acts 16, verse 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed 
in God. And in this crazy, only God could have done it turn of events, the church is born in Philippi. Do you see how powerful the Gospel is? The, the Gospel is powerful enough to pierce through materialism, Lydia. The Gospel is powerful enough to uh, deliver from demons. The Gospel is powerful enough to demolish the pride of an authoritative jailer, Roman jailer. Paul went through the ringer bringing the Gospel to Philippi. Yet he was faithful and he was obedient by preaching the Gospel. And so when Paul writes this letter, there's some history here. He's not just writing a letter to some distant relatives or some distant family members or even some Christians that he knows are meeting in Philippi. These are his family. And so when Paul writes to them, there's history there. And we'll pick up in verse 1. Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your, can we change that? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion of the day of Christ Jesus. Paul writes this, in jail. I have three points for us. Our goal this year, at the beginning of this year, is to, to build community with one another. My first point, and I have three, is building community happens through gospel partnership. Building community in our church happens through gospel partnership. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I just told you the story about the first day. The first day of how this church was born in Philippi. Paul says, look, I have joy right now in my soul despite my circumstances, despite my situation. Paul was most likely chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. He writes this letter saying, I have joy in my heart because of our partnership in the gospel. Paul labored for the sake of Jesus with these brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi. Now that word partnership, don't think of it as you know, you're, you're in high school chemistry class and you're partnering with a, someone for 50 minutes for class and then you go on your way. That's, that's not the kind of partnership we're talking about. It's more like, hey, remember when we first met and I preached the gospel to you and you believed and then I baptized you into Christ and the Holy Spirit came in in your life and you were a follower of Jesus and then you labored with me as we went from place to place and door to door and we shared the gospel and then remember when I got thrown in jail remember when we were persecuted and remember all of the, the things that we went through to get this gospel to people and in their hearts. Do you remember when we labored for the gospel together? That's the kind of partnership that we're talking about. Remember when we were persecuted. Remember when we were tortured for the name of Jesus. Partnership in the Greek actually means fellowship. It means fellowship. Back in 2015, on one of my very first uh, mission trips, that I'd ever been on. I was so excited. My first mission trip as a Christian. And we did various things that I'll tell you about. But the main thing, the main focus of this trip was to build bunk beds at an orphanage. We got to stay at the orphanage. We got to hang out with kids. We got to go visit missionaries. We got to supply people with clean water. We got to pray with the missionaries, encourage them. They encouraged us. All these amazing things happened. But the main thing we went there for was to build bunk beds for this orphanage. That's a great thing. Uh, The only problem is I don't know how to build anything. I'm just not mechanically inclined. If you know me, you know that. My wife always likes to remind me how I don't know how to do anything uh, that regards building things and using a screwdriver and all of those things. 
And so we get there, the sun's still up, right? And I'm like, what are we going to do? And they're like, let's go ahead and start building bunk beds. And let's pull out the wood and let's, you know, do all this math and, and make, start doing the process of building bunk beds. And I'm just kind of standing around like, I don't know what to do. And it didn't take long for people to realize that I, in fact, did not know what to do. So my job, when it came to building bunk beds, literally became, and I owned it, I just want you to know, by the time they were ready to put the bunk beds together, I put on this big, heavy work belt, had all these pockets, and I just filled them with screws. And every time somebody needed a screw, I was there. <laughs> Need a screw? Here you go. I got a screw. I got in both hands, I got screws. And I was the screw guy. Anybody, anytime anybody needed a screw, I was like flash, I was there. That was my job, and I owned it, you know, because I'm not mechanically inclined. Now, I partnered with these men, and even if it was just a tiny little way, in building those bunk beds. But that trip was way more than bunk beds. It was them teaching me how to raise money for a mission trip, using right language. I'm not just going there to build bunk beds. We're going to supply clean water. We're going to pray with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to encourage missionaries. When we handed a a water filter to a family, a family of six, this woman and her six or seven kids had lost her husband to alcoholism. Poor, dirt poor. You walked in their house and it was dirt. There's no carpet. There's no hardwood floors. There's no laminate. It was dirt. And they had dirty, disgusting water. And I got to be a part, first of all, raising money, selling these water filters, and then giving these families water filters and seeing that clean and clear water come out that they had never had before. And the tears coming down this woman's face, her little maybe six, seven years old, this kid reaches out his hand to shake my hand to thank me. Like the emotions I felt in that moment, what God's Spirit did in my life and in my heart, being a part of that interaction. We did so much more than building bunk beds. We prayed every morning before we ate breakfast for the people that we were going to encounter, the orphans that we got to hang out with, all of the kids that we got to love on. We got to uh, not only spend time with uh, the missionaries, but they got to encourage us as well as us encouraging them. We got to pray with them. We got to ask, hey, what is it that you need us to pray for? Let's pray for it. We got to have a special Christ-centered, gospel-centered fellowship with brothers and sisters in an entirely different country. We went to do far more than just build bunk beds. One of the purposes of having community with other believers is to work side-by-side together for the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? Go out and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them. We get to partner together side-by-side doing just that for a unified purpose for a unified purpose making much of jesus and making much of the gospel it's working together doing things that's what it means to partner in the gospel working together as a body of believers who are unified in the same mission the great commission making much of jesus and so the time that paul spent in philippi with these these philippians it gave him joy thinking back on all of the work that they did for the name of christ I've seen men and women in this church, older and young, lift heavy things, wake up early on a Saturday morning to go hunt down a heavy ice hockey table, or not ice hockey, that'd be ridiculous, but an air hockey table, and then getting it up the stairs, a vending machine, uh, guys in their 70s, guys in their 20s, getting this vending machine upstairs. The only way both the air hockey table and the vending machine are going out of this building is through a window upstairs. That's how heavy they are, but they're sweating they're getting it up there for the, for the sake of the mission, all the while unpaid. Moving furniture, putting down sod in the Texas heat, 
helping us move into our houses. People who didn't have to do that came and showed up and helped us, my wife and I, move into our house, even going as far as breaking into storage units. Only a few of you get that, but, but I'm talking about sweating together. I'm talking about bleeding together. I'm, I'm talking about crying together. And I'm talking about laboring for the gospel in small ways and in big ways. And then after all of that, sitting down, sharing a meal together, praying and thanking God for all of the blessings that he has given us, that we get to be a family together, that we get to bond together, and we get to have fellowship with one another, breaking bread, having a meal, praying, and then laughing about all of the funny things that happen, like breaking into a storage unit. And I want to tell you, if you don't have that, you need to get that. And that's our end goal today and throughout this entire series, is that every single person in this room might have a gospel partnership with the person sitting next to you and the person sitting next to them and the family on the other side of the room, that we would all together have a gospel partnership. Because if you don't have that, I want to tell you, Christ, your Savior and Lord, desires you to have that. Paul goes on in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. My second point this morning is building community requires Christ-centered love for one another. Building community requires Christ-centered love for one another. Paul says, every single one of you have a place in my heart. Paul's not reflecting on this church saying, I remember a couple of you and, and there are some others of you and I just, and, but no, every single one of them, as Paul reflects on his time with them, had a special place in his heart. Wouldn't that be something? You could walk in this building and you look across the room, even right now, and you say, that person and that person, they have a special place in my heart because of the way that we have partnered together in the gospel, because of the way that they have loved me and the way that I've been able to love them in a different season. What if you could look across the room and say, that person has a special place in my heart? Imagine, imagine if you leave Hillcrest, you move. Um, there should be no reason why you ever leave Hillcrest unless you move away far, 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 far away and you can't commute. But if you move out of state, let's say Oklahoma or Louisiana or you know, even Hawaii, that would be awesome. I'd take me with you. But but if you move away, and when you move away because you love Jesus, you're going to get plugged into a new church. That's totally right of you to do that. And while you're there meeting new church members and building a new family and, and community at this new church, you're always talking about Hillcrest. And somebody comes up to you and says, man, what's the deal with Hillcrest? You're always talking about that church that you lived in or that you went to in McKinney back in Texas. And, and you just said, quite simply, you just said, those people, man, they have a they have a special place in my heart. I just love them so much. The way that they loved me in my desperate times of need, the way that they were there for me, they, they just have a special place in my heart. We did a lot of good things for the sake of Christ there. We did a lot of good things in the way we partnered in the gospel together. They just have a special place in my heart. Or maybe you, this has happened to you where you've gone on vacation and it's years later and there's a picture on your wall with family or friends on that vacation. Maybe it's a souvenir that you bought. And you see that souvenir, or you see that picture, or maybe it's a letter that you kept weirdly after 22 years, and you read it, and you're with somebody, and you say to the other person, yeah, I'll never forget that trip. I remember when I bought that, that watch, or, or that you know, glass with the, the ship in the glass that you buy at the beach. Like, how do they do that, you know? But you remember. You remember that trip when you see that picture, or that, that item, or that souvenir that you bought, or that letter that you read. You remember, and it takes you back to that place. It takes you back to that moment. It takes you back to that time. That place, that vacation, that trip, that moment, it will always have a special place in my heart. 
Why is that? Maybe it's because of the memories that you shared or the, or the meals that you had together or the words that were exchanged or how someone, you're in a low point or a low moment in your life and somebody built you back up and encouraged you and you'll never forget that moment. It has a special place in your heart. Paul says, For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul's saying, we are all partners in God's grace together. Not only in the work of the gospel that we've done, but and not only in the highlights of the Christian life, the fact that we get to come here every week and, and spend time with one another. Like, that's a highlight. Because other Christians in other places in our nation, they don't get to do this. Or maybe the time when, when you went on that mission trip and that was a highlight of the Christian life. And Paul's saying, look, we're all partners. We're, we're all partakers in God's grace in the high moments, in the highlights of the Christian life, and in the low moments of the Christian life. Like when one of us experiences the loss of a loved one, or maybe when someone is mourning the death of a loved one. Paul's saying, what makes us partners in the gospel is the way that we love one another during that time. We're all partakers of God's grace, doing life together. Paul's in jail right now, and I want to tell you, Paul's not suffering by himself. This church is suffering with him. If Paul is in trouble, these Christians can feel it. That's how deep this connection was for them. When one of us gets cancer in this family, or knows a loved one that has cancer, or loses a loved one, there's someone in this room, a part of God's family, who's gone through the same thing you're going through. It just may have been in another season. And part of us being partaker of God's grace is that person who's been through what you've been through comes up to you saying, I know what you're going through. I've been there. I understand the emotions you have. I had them too. God's grace coming to you is through that person who's been through that. Paul's in jail, and these Philippians aren't sitting idle, just whether laboring for the gospel or not. They are loving Paul, and they are visiting him in jail they are partnering with him in God's grace. And God's grace right now to Paul is Epaphroditus coming to visit him. Almost losing his life, it actually says in this book. Trekking however far to get to Paul to encourage him in his most desperate time of need. That's the kind of grace that we all are a part of together as a family of God. So when one of you suffers, we all suffer in some capacity. When one of you is going through a hard time, we all need to come alongside one another. That's what a family does. It's more than a phone call. It's coming to your door, showing up with flowers or, or showing up with a letter or showing up with even if it's you need money. We're all partakers of God's grace. And what's been given us is meant to be given. We're not meant to just keep the things that we have for ourselves. We're meant to give back. And we do that towards the world and we do it together as a family. And I want to... I just want to be honest, some of you are struggling right now, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's financially, maybe you're struggling right now in sin, and I want to be honest and tell you that the reason, part of the reason why you're struggling is because nobody else knows about it. Nobody else knows about it. And you might say to me, well, Jesus knows about it. You're absolutely right. Jesus does know about it. But part of God's grace is that He put you and me together to be a community where none of us have to struggle by ourselves. None of us have to go through death or fight 
cancer or struggle through sin or have a financial problem by ourselves. God put us together for a purpose, to be in community with one another. If you're living the Christian life by yourself, you're doing it wrong. You're being unbiblical. God has a plan for you. And he has put people around you in different phases of life who have gone through different things, experienced different seasons of life that it may surprise you could come alongside you and help you in your most desperate time of need. We do not struggle alone, church. Paul says in verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now this word affection in the Greek is very interesting. It means inward parts of the body. Inward parts of the body. Paul is saying, God knows my heart. God is my witness, how I long for you all with the same love that Jesus loves you. With the same love that Jesus loves you. Paul says, look, or God's Word says, we all have pain. We all have sorrow. We feel guilt because of sin or shame because of past experiences. Past experiences and we're still feeling shame about it. Paul says in Philippians 3, stop looking at those things. Stop looking behind and, and look towards what's ahead. And Paul says, I want to love you with the affection that Jesus loves you. The same Jesus that knew about the sin in your life. The same Jesus that knew who you were as a wretched sinner, yet stepped into the mess and fixed you up. Gave you a new heart. Gave you a new spirit by no account of your doing. All on account of his blood shed on that cross. Paul saying, I want to love you the way Jesus loves you. I want to, I want to do it in the same manner that Jesus has done. That's how we should love one another. It's the kind of love, by the way, that steps in to ask the hard questions. Questions like, are you doing okay? I haven't seen you in a while. How are you? The kind of love that, forget about the surface. I want to know what's happening on the inside. What's got you feeling hurt? Where's the pain coming from? Let's pray about it. Let's fall on our knees together and ask the God of heaven to intercede, to step in, and to help you right now. Don't, I don't care about the surface. I want to know what's happening on the inside. That's what it means to love with the affection of Christ. You care about the people on the inside. I've noticed that you had, you've had a little bit of anger in you. Tell me what's going on. Let's trace back to what you might think the anger came from. Let's pray about it. Let's fall on our knees. Let's love each other with the affection of Jesus. So not only should we want intimacy with Christ, but we should want to love one another with this same intimacy, this same affection. It's, it's, it's the kind of affection that's personal. Four years ago, I was going through something personally on the inside. And it was hard. And I was the kind of person that wasn't going to tell a lot of people. And I had a friend of mine in my life group who was a, had been a Christian much longer than me, experienced certain things. And he left his wife and his three kids that evening, and he came to my apartment, and he took me out to dinner, and he got my mind off of it. And then when we got back to my apartment, we talked, and we hung out, and we laughed, and we cried. And he fell on his knees and prayed for me. That's the kind of love and affection that Paul's talking about. We need to have that for one another. And you will not have that kind of love for each other if you just come here every week and that's it. That kind of love for each other will not happen if you just come here on Sunday and that's it. This happens in community with one another outside of these walls. Paul goes on in verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. My third point this morning 
as building community involves a commitment to prayer. Building community involves a commitment to prayer. Going to church, going to church can be just like going to a movie theater. You know, you're there for about an hour and a half, two hours tops, and you really enjoyed what you heard and what you saw and what you experienced, and you go home and, and your emotions are stirring up and, and you remember some of the things that you saw and then you said, and then the very next day those things fade. I want the next movie. And then a week later you come and you get your movie. I think there's some things that can help each one of us in that, to go beyond that one-time experience. And that's, that's reading the Bible. This Bible plan is, is meant to help every single one of us grow in our affection for Jesus and grow in our affection for one another. If you want to know God, you will, you will know Him through His Word. If you want to know your, God's plan and purpose for your life, you will find that in His Word. What's God's will for my life in this season? Go to His Word. You will find it, I promise you. It's a privilege that we get to come here every week right now. It really is, this, with all that's going on with COVID-19. But Christianity takes work. It takes work. And Paul says, my prayer for every single one of you is that your love for one another would grow more every single day. He says in verse 9, with knowledge and all discernment. The word knowledge here in the Greek is, is spiritual knowledge. It's growing in your knowledge of God. It's growing in your knowledge of the truth of God. It's growing in your knowledge of, of, of Christ, your understanding of what it means to live the Christian life that's revealed in the Scriptures. It's growing in your understanding of the Gospel and how you play a part in that. We're meant to do this together. We're meant to, to pray for one another. That, that we would all grow in our understanding of the Gospel, grow in our understanding of, of, in our relationship with Jesus and how that applies to our lives. Which means we need to spend time with one another outside of these walls. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray God's Word over each other. And Paul says, so you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Paul says, approve what is excellent. In other words, approve what is best for you. The word approve is put to the test. It's examined. There's a scripture in Luke 14, verse 19. It's in the context of the great banquet. And this master is sending out these invitations for people to come to the banquet. And people are giving all these excuses why they can't come. And one of them says, I've just bought all of these oxen. I need to go test them out. Evidently, this man bought these oxen and didn't even test them. So he says, I need to go, I need to go, I've just bought all these oxen. I need to go out and figure out if they're actually going to be useful to me. What Paul is saying is, you and I need to do that too. We need to put to test the things that we're doing in our lives. We need to examine our Christian life. We need to examine how we're living as Christians. We need to examine um, our marriages, our relationships. Our presence in the workplace, we need to examine, we need to take time and test these things, figure out if they're actually good for us in our spiritual growth. Are these things contributing to us in our spiritual growth and in our relationship with Jesus? Is how we're behaving in our relationships, is how we're behaving in our marriages, is how we're behaving in our parenting, is how we're stewarding our money and all of our, the, the things that we own, is how we're contributing to the body of Christ? Is it actually, is it Helping us grow. Is it helping those around us grow? Paul says we need to approve. We need to test. We need to examine what is excellent, what is best for us as believers. So how do we do that? We do that in God's Word, and we do that with community. What does the Bible say about my relationship? What does the Bible say about my marriage? 
What does the Bible say about the money that I have? How I handle and steward that money? Am I living in a way that is best for me as a Christian? Or am I being a detriment in my marriage or in the community or in those around me? You need to approve what is best for you in your Christian life. And one way you do that is in the Bible. Another way, the second way is you do that by being in a life group. Doing life with people outside of this building. People who know you better than they know other people. They can see even from a distance. I can see something's bothering you. Tell me what it is. The people that love you and that you love with the affection of Jesus. This is how we grow together as Christians. This is how we grow in our understanding of the gospel and our purpose in this world. We do it together with family. Paul says so. And why do we do it? Why do we test? Why do we examine what is best? Paul says so we can be pure and blameless of the day of Christ. That word pure is sincere. In other words, for the sake of time, Paul is saying we need to approve what is best for us as Christians so we can present ourselves as authentic. Paul saying, my prayer for you is that you would be authentic. Authentic in your faith. Authentic in your walk. That you would be sincere in your relationships as a follower of the God of the universe. Christianity today, especially in America, is more of a title than it is a lifestyle. We, people love to identify themselves as a Christian, but, but they neglect the obedience required to walk by faith in Jesus. And Paul is saying, I'm praying that you'll consider to examine your life right now as a Christian. Take some inventory. Are you doing what's best for yourself as a Christian and in your relationship so that you can be authentic? So that you can be authentic. Because if you're not doing those things, if you're not working out your salvation, as Paul says, if you're not taking inventory, examining what's best for you and in your family as Christians, then you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time and you're not actually following Jesus. Paul says, look, I pray that your faith and that your walk with Christ is authentic and that you take time to examine where you are spiritually. That way you can take a step in the right direction to grow spiritually, to grow in your understanding of the gospel. And we can do all of those things in three ways. By partnering together in the gospel, by loving each other with, the, with Christ-like affection, and by committing ourselves to prayer for one another. This is how every single one of us will grow in our relationship with God and in our relationship with one another. We do these three things. This is what Paul is telling us. And so I want to close with this. Last week I asked you to write on a white card. And I want to, and most of you, all of you that wrote were honest. This is what I personally experienced last year. And we get to be praying for you now. But on the other side of the card, I wanted to see your hearts and where you are spiritually and what you would like to see happen in this church. And here's what, by landslide, these were the things that everybody said, whether it was in a word or many words. This is what you guys want this year at Hillcrest. You want community. You want life groups. You want to be in a life group. You want to find community. You want fellowship. We just talked about fellowship. Church unity. It, all of this, it, it all points to these things. Growth, outreach, life change. All of these happen. All of these things happen when we do life together. When we partner together in the gospel. When we love each other with the affection of Jesus. And when we come alongside each other and we pray these things will take care of themselves. When we figure out that our money is not even our money, it's God's money, and we want to give towards God's church for the furthering of His kingdom in McKinney, in Anna, in, in Melissa, in Princeton, wherever it is that you live, I want to give my life for the, for the spread of the gospel. And I have, how incredible is this, men and women who want the same exact thing that I want. 
They want to come alongside me for the furthering of God's kingdom. That will happen when we do these things. And these are the things that you want. And these are the things that I want. I want to see life change happen. Now, I've said it before. I want that nursery with babies. I want that baptism. You know, I want people to be baptized. That's life change. I want life change to happen in your life. I want life change to happen in my life. And that's going to happen when we do life together. We need each other. We need each other. So on those cards, I want you to write down here in a moment. We currently have two life groups. A life group that meets at Mickey and Kay Love's house. And a life group that meets at uh, the Norby's house. If you haven't met the Norby's, they sit right there. I'm pointing at them right now. They have a life group (laughs) in Allen. Two life groups. So Chris Reed is going to lead a life group at my house. Sailor in my house. Mine and Sailor house. And we're going to meet on Thursdays. And I think all of these groups meet on Thursdays. That's three life groups. You're welcome to go to any three of these life groups. But I want you to write down on that now, if you want to be plugged into a life group, write your name and write just life group. You want to be in a life group. If you want to host a life group at your house, write that down. If you want to facilitate a life group, you can do that. You don't have to be a Bible teacher to facilitate. We can walk you through that process. But if you want to be plugged into this church, all you have to do is write it down. And I will reach out to you this week and we'll get you plugged in. This is biblical Christianity, church. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You don't do it alone. If you're doing it alone, you're doing it wrong. And you're just making it harder on yourself. Paul says in in Philippians 1 verse 6, he says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God's not through with you right now. That moment when God reached down in the depths of your soul and gave you a new heart and a new spirit, that's when God began his work in you. And Paul's saying he is not finished until you are called home to heaven. God is not through with any person in this room. If you have breath in your lungs, God is not through with you, Paul says. I am sure of it that he who began a good work will see it through until the day that he returns. Every single one of us has a plan and a purpose, and we are to live that out together. And so take heart, Christian. We're in this together. Nobody's supposed to do this alone. We are in this together. That makes me smile, knowing that I'm not in this Christian life alone. Let me pray for us, and then we'll stand and worship together. Father God in heaven, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for words being spoken 2,000 years ago that still have meaning and purpose in life today. God, thank you for the Apostle Paul and, and this Philippian church who labored together for the gospel. And I know it's because of their, their partnership that we have the gospel today. It's, it's because of men and women like them. And so God, let us be just like them. Let us labor together in the gospel. Let us love one another with the affection of Jesus. And let us be bold and courageous and pray for one another. Help us to do that, God, through your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name.